Well, it's good to be together this morning. If you're wondering where Pastor Drew is, he is in the Dominican Republic with Greg Bennett, our executive director, and they might be on the plane right now. So they actually, knowing Drew and Greg, they're probably on their smartphone, right? (laughs) Like, just want to say, hi guys, how are you doing? Fly safe. Looking forward to you guys coming back soon. Uh, We've been in this series, if you've been with us, um, going through the book of Exodus, right? The book of Exodus, and we've been on this journey, and it started with Moses at the burning bush, God meeting Moses at the burning bush, and then we have the plagues, and you have let my people go, and, and finally they were released, right? And then there's the parting of the Jordan, and they walk through on dry ground, and on the other side, they're like, well, where do we go? Well, they, are fo- they, they follow this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud, and, and then they're like, well, what, what do we do? And Jethro shows up and is like, well, this is how you can work together as a community. If you were here last week, you know Pastor Drew was holding this thing up for what felt like an hour, right? I mean, I I think for him, uh, it's just holding something up that God's entrusted you with that you think that you have to bear this on your own. And what do we learn? No, we don't have to bear that on our own, that God's provided the errands and the hers in our life that hold us up, that help us out. That's the point, is that we don't do life alone. Community is not meant to be done alone. And you have the Amalekites that were defeated, and then we find ourselves here today <laughs> in this, this sermon series of Exodus with a title called The Way of Life. We find ourselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And we're going to meet face to, well, we're going to meet in the very presence of God because he wants to meet with us. And so he's setting us up. He's, he's preparing us to meet with him. And so we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20. If you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 1. There you go. <laughs> Quick on the draw. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, we're going to be reading through 21. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. I gotta be honest with you. Before prepping for this sermon, I'd be hard pressed to name the 10 commandments. Some of you guys are like, you're a pastor, how dare you? Before you cast judgment, I probably, if I was hard-pressed, I probably would have been able to list them. They might not have been in the right order. They not, might not have been word for word, right? Okay, sure. How about you, right? I mean, if I said, hey, right now, make a list, one through 10, and list the 10 commandments. I just read them to you. Should be easy, right? What does that say about us? What does that say about me? Like, do I value this commandment? Do I value this, this word? Do we as a community value this word? I want you to hear this from the psalmist. Psalms 119, I want you to hear the psalmist's love for the commands. Do you love the law of God like this? With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your ordinance at all times. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. And that's the psalmist speaking. I wonder, is that our love for God's law? Like, if I were honest, I'd have to say, no, that's not my perspective on the law, right? In fact, um, just this last week, I was listening to NPR, and on the radio, there's this gentleman. He had just finished 24 years of translating the Hebrew scripture. 24 years he spent on longhand translation of the Hebrew Bible. His name was Robert Alter. And he said this that really struck me, really struck me. He said, Christians devalue the Old Testament, only useful as a precursor to the new. Oh, just a kick in the gut. I'm like, oh man, like I felt like, no, you know, I wanted to yell back at the radio. And I was like, but do we? I mean, do we devalue the Old Testament? Why? I mean, right, it's old. Why read the old when you can have the new, Right? I mean, that's what we think. Like, is that, it's only, you know, what's it useful for? Is that how we treat it? But see, in our culture, we know that the Ten Commandments have some intrinsic value. There's something valuable about them. Let me prove my point. I want you to name uh, this, this movie franchise. Oh, I'm gonna step out here, okay. 
Thank you, some of you. It does, it does kind of peter out at the end there. You're just kind of like, how does that song end? I don't know. I just know he puts on his hat and whoosh, right? <laughs> I don't know if you could tell by my perfect pitch, uh, but that was Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And although we don't go to Raiders of the Lost Ark for, you know, great insights uh, to the Bible, one thing they do get right, though, is this, this value of the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're pursuing this Ark of the Covenant. The Germans are pursuing the Ark of the Covenant because they think that if they were to, to get a hold of it, to possess it, that it would somehow make their, their Nazi army invincible, right? And there's crazy scenes in there. They open it up and, ah, and you're like, oh, gosh, that was nuts. Anyway, uh, not accurate, not in the Bible, just in case you guys want to know. Uh, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant was what was powerful. What was inside was what was powerful. The Ten Commandments. In fact, uh, the Jewish people wouldn't even refer to it as the Ten Commandments. They would refer to it as the Ten Words. And in Hebrew, what we translate as commandment is really word. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. God says way more than just 10 words there. No, a word in Hebrew can mean a sentence in English or a statement in English. So these are, these are the 10 statements of God. And this is kind of a spoiler alert. Uh, later in the sermon series, we're going to learn that Moses does continue to meet with God. And you won't guess what this place is called, where they meet. The Tent of Meeting. Makes sense, I mean, right? A little bit on the nose, but I felt like that's okay. So they meet in this tent of meeting, and it's a place where God dwelled among the Hebrew people. And in the very heart of the tent of meeting was the place called the Holy of Holies. This is where the very presence of God was found. And, and in the very heart of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. That's the very place that they stored the very words of God. In the very Ark of the Covenant, they found these two tablets. And written on these two tablets were the very heart of God. See, for the Hebrew people, when you refer to the 10 words, you're not just talking about a list of laws. You're talking about the very heart of God. That's how they value the 10 words. So let's go to those 10 words. Again, Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. Stop. Okay, sorry. We didn't get very far. But I'm curious. It says then, right? And I wonder, like, what happened before then? And so, you know, this morning we're going to be talking about not only what was the value of the ten words, but what was the purpose of the ten words, And my argument is that the purpose of the 10 words is that God desires to bring about transformation for his people. He wants to bring about change. And if you've read of anything from Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, you know that in Changes That Heal or in, um, there's a lot of books, uh, How, How People Grow, sorry, Boundaries is another one you might be familiar with. He has this, he says that there's three ingredients for change, three ingredients for transformation. They are grace, truth, and time. And so I'm going to look at this morning 
these three elements because I believe that God desires to bring about transformation for his people. And the first ingredient is grace. See, what happened before then, up until this point, it's all been grace. Think about it. They were released from slavery. They crossed the Jordan. There was manna and water. There was a victory over the Amalekites and wisdom from Jethro. Those are all grace. It was by grace that God chose them, not because they deserved it. It was by grace that God freed them, not because they earned it. It was by grace that God parted the sea, that he provided manna from heaven and water from the rock, not because they were somehow righteous. It was because they were loved. And it's from this environment of grace. It is so important to have a foundation of grace in order to grow, in order to be changed. And it's from that foundation of grace that God brings about his truth, reveals his truth to his people. What happened before the 10 words? Let's look at uh, chapter 19, verse five. I want you to pay attention to this. I believe that God was speaking a truth about their identity. He says, now, therefore, in verse five, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Now, yes, there is this if and there is this then and God is setting up his covenant with his people and it's a covenant formulary if you guys want to geek out on this kind of study and in that there is this idea that God presents himself before his people and he says, this is who I am and he says, this is who you are and then he goes, if, if you do this, then I will do that. Okay, covenant formulary, he's creating this covenant and that's fun, we can talk about that but I don't want to talk about that. I want to geek out about something else and it is what he calls them. Did you catch it? God is giving them a new identity. See, for 400 years, Israel has been enslaved to a certain way of life. Generation after generation, they've been treated like objects, property, tools to be used, only to then be thrown away. And when they hear this word, they're only 90 days out of captivity. I mean, it's still Q1. It's still the first quarter of freedom. And they're under new management, and this ruler has new plans for their life. He says, you are no longer discarded, you are treasured. He says, you're no longer slaves, you are royalty, you are priests. He says, you're no longer a God-forsaken people, you are holy. God says, don't believe the lie that you have been living, this is who you are. Could you imagine Could you imagine hearing that for the first time? Really? That's who I am? Like, would you believe it? Would you live into it right away? See, it's from this truth. It's this before then. God gives them this new identity. Then he speaks all of these words. And I wonder why these 10 words? I mean, he could have chosen any words. He could have chosen more than 10 Why these 10? Would you have chosen these 10 for your life? And yet God chose these 10 words to share to his people. Why? Because I believe that it directly addressed their learned captive way of life. Their captive way of life, it was a very polytheistic culture in Egypt. There was idol worship. 
there were the Egyptians and they were learning from the Egyptians that you can call upon your gods to somehow accomplish your own agenda. There was slave labor. There was 400 years of dishonoring one another. There was disrespect for one's life. There was disrespect for one's property. There was objectification. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. And I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if God just left them in grace and didn't reveal his truth. If God just left them alone in the wilderness to enter into the promised land in their old way of living, what would have happened? They would have taken their oppression with them. See, the promised land would have become Egypt 2.0. In fact, they would have become pharaohs themselves. I was just this last, just yesterday, I was at the poverty encounter through the Children's Hunger Fund. It's just up the 405, right before you get into Santa Clarita. The poverty encounter walks you through on this journey, literally walks you through these various countries that are experiencing this incredible amount of poverty, both abroad and even locally, Los Angeles, San Diego, Denver, all these different places that are experiencing incredible poverty. But there's this one you know, country, and, and it just reminded me of another country I've been to, but Nepal. In Nepal, and I've been in India, they're very close, right? There, there is this practice, they, they have these rock quarries, and these rock quarries form bonded labor. In fact, they, in India, there's a high demand for jobs, and there's a low supply. And so everyone's looking for a job and they show up at a rock quarry and they're like, I'm looking for a job. Could you help me? He's like, you're in luck. In fact, we're hiring. This is a great day for you. Uh, we are going to be hiring new, uh, new people to come on the team and there is, uh, we're gonna pay you 50, I don't know what they're called. Uh, I know for whatever reason, I'm gonna say shekels and I know that's not right. Um, 50 coins, rupees, thank you. 50 rupees, such a pastor to say shekels. Um, anyway. 50 rupees, and these 50 rupees, it's a good salary. That's great. Oh, and check out this housing. There's great housing uh, right on the property. You can bring your family there. And you know what? The, the housing's only 25 rupees. Well, that's a pretty good deal, right? And you still got 25 left over. Oh, and you like this uh, food that we provided for you and your family? That's 15 rupees. Isn't that great? And so you'll have some rupees left over if you meet your quota. The problem is, is the quota is impossible to meet. And so month after month, they go and they work and they work and they work seven days a week trying to make this quota. And at the end, they're handed 50 rupees, but they're asked to give back 65. And they're said, you know what? Don't worry about it. You can't do that, I guess. Yeah, you're like, the math doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work because they don't have it. And so they're like, okay, the 15 extra that you owe us, you'll just make up next month. Cool, I'll just give you a loan. But they can't make the quota next month. And so they're back into it and they're back into it and they're doing this perpetual slavery. They're enslaved in bonded labor. This is happening today, right now. And it's not just in one location. It's like 150,000 locations, I think. I mean, when I heard that, I was like, what? I can't even compute. It's happening all across India and Nepal. To think that this couldn't happen. No, it's happening in fact, these rock quarry managers are modern day pharaohs. See, God didn't want this for Israel then and God doesn't want this for humanity now. 
Yes, Israel has been released from bondage, yet the bondage hadn't yet been released from them. And God loves them too much just to leave them, just to leave them in the lie that they were believing about themselves and about God, or to leave them, to leave them in this lie that they were following, to leave them in the lie that they were living. They needed the truth. They needed the truth to set them free from their old way of life. So God, in his love, is longing for the transformation of his people. Now we've looked at two ingredients for growth, two ingredients for transformation, grace, truth, but the third is time. Let's talk about time for a second. I mean, this is a journey, right? That could have taken 13 days. It took him 40 years. What's the deal, Israel? Like, what, how hard is that? How hard could it be? What's their deal? But before we criticize Israel, it is the 27th day of January 2019. How are your resolutions going? I mean, it's supposed to only take us 21 days to form a habit. So what's your deal? You know? I mean, come on. I mean, some might say 66 days, so you have a little bit of wiggle room. But do you think you're going to get there? Yeah, we set these resolutions, but why is it so hard for us to actually follow through? Have you heard of this phrase, neuroplasticity? Plasticity? No? Neuroplasticity is this idea that, um, it's actually not an idea, it's a reality that our brains have these neurosynapses and they create these pathways. And as you keep working this pathway, it forms a habit and the neuro uh, connections... I'm hoping that they connect right now. Uh, those neuro connections can actually get to that destination. And the more that they go down that path, they form this habit and it becomes easier and easier and easier. So uh, I don't know if I did a good job. So I just, I, I think of like um, a jungle, okay? A jungle and you got a machete, and you got a hat on and you got a whip and you're Indiana Jones. Okay, so you have this machete and you're hacking through the jungle and you're trying to create this pathway and you're working super hard and you get through the jungle to the other side and you're like, yes. And so you go back and forth through the jungle and this is creating that path and it becomes easier and easier as you knock that path down. But you want to go a different way. So you have to get that machete back out and you start hacking through the jungle. And it's hard and it's hard work and you see your other path and you're like, well, I just went, all right, I'm going to go down this way because it's easier, right? But you're like, I don't want to go down this way. I want to go down this way. And so you start hacking through. And it gets easier. And it gets, you get further and further and further. And you break through. And so you start working that path. And it gets knocked down. While meanwhile, that other path starts to grow in. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that incredible that God has made our brains with the ability to change? Neuroplasticity is something that, you know, if we want to relearn something or learn something for, first for the, for, the, for the first time, it'll get there, um, that God can shape and mold and transform our minds. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. God knows something. He's way ahead of us. And he knows that about these people, the Israelites. He knows that they have been living this certain way of life and it's been ingrained into them and it's been the path of least resistance, but he wants to do a new thing. He wants to create a new way, a new way of life. And yet they still hold on to this old existence and they're trying to work this new path. And so for me, 40 years doesn't sound that long. I mean, when you're talking about 400 years, 400 years of slavery, I'm just trying to break 
like to reduce my carb intake. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to increase my workout plan or start a workout plan. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not trying to unwind an identity. Up until this point, Israel has held the identity as a slave, unlearning 400 years of objectification. See, 40 years in the wilderness is not punishment if it's grace-filled. 40 years in the wilderness is not aimless wandering if it's filled with God's truth. See, the wilderness, with the right ingredients of grace and truth, actually becomes fertile ground for transformation. So what does this mean for us today? God's truth, God's heart, if you haven't heard it yet, God's heart for you and I is he longs for us to have life, to experience life the way he's designed it, the way he longs for us to have it, a life that doesn't quit. God longs to set us free from our bondage of sin and lead us into a life-giving way of life. I was listening to NPR. Have I mentioned NPR this morning? I, I, I listen to NPR. Confession. But uh, if you've been listening to the news, not just NPR, but it's been on other uh, news channels, you've been hearing, hearing about the millennials and burnout. Has anyone heard about the millennials and burnout? Millennials. Have you been hearing about the millennials and burnout? Uh, millennials, you're burned out. So news... Uh, you didn't hear about this, uh, heard it first from me. Um, there is this, and, and some give millennials, I mean, everyone gives millennials a hard time. I don't know why. But um, I'm, anyway, th- there's this story and this news story that says, you know, millennials are feeling burnout. And why? Why? Well, because they feel this expectation to always be on. In fact, there's a quote that says, if you're not working, you're not trying. And there's, you know, there's, there's these different apps. Obviously, we have our smartphones. We can get on those anytime we want. We can be on our work email at any hour of the day. In fact, there's this program called Slack. Have you heard of Slack? The, the funny thing about Slack is it cuts you no slack. It doesn't. I mean, it gives timestamps as to when you check in. And so if you're working with a group and your boss can have eyes on Slack, your boss will know, yo, Mike checked in at 9.30 that night and worked on the project. Oh, wow, Mike woke up at 5.30 and started working on the project. Let's give Mike a bump. Let's give, let's let Mike, he's, he's a hard worker. He's showing some promise. Let's give him the lead. Oh, Mike was showing up on Saturday and he's working on the, oh, Mike's working on Sunday. Do you get what's happening here? And those expectations are so high and we can't even meet them. And we place those expectations on one another. We have this thing called email right? And it's just this torrent of emails just coming at you all the time. And your list of to-dos, it just keeps adding. And you think you get after it. You're like, oh, I did something today. And then you look at your to-do list and you're like, I did nothing today. I guess I got to keep working. It's not just millennials. We live in a culture of burnout. In fact, it's not something that they just manifested. It's something that they've learned. And guess what the secret is to healing burnout? Rest. It's not rocket science. Rest. Sabbath. I think God knows what he's talking about. God knows what he's talking about and he wants life for us. 
A day of rest. You don't have to be slaves to your emails. You don't have to be slaves to your unspoken expectations. And maybe this doesn't resonate with you, but maybe there are other words that would. Like an idol, the thing that you're placing your trust in, your security in. Maybe you can name something that you're holding on to. Or that sexual relationship that you think that maybe is outside of your marriage and you're like, oh, that's going to make me feel so alive. Maybe it's, I'm not, I'm not really going to lie. I'm just going to kind of gossip about that person. It's not going to really damage them. It's just going to help me get ahead, right? And so we give that false witness. Or maybe it's that coveting because the things that you have, they aren't really doing it for you, right? You spent all week at Third Street Promenade and you love your new thing until it's a week away and then it's now old. And it's just, it kind of peters out. And so we long for, oh, they look happy. Their Instagram looks amazing. I want what they have. And so we covet. Or maybe none of these apply to you and you're Jesus. (laughs) I mean, don't get me started, okay? Like, let's just be honest, okay? I mean, Psalms 139, the psalmist is really honest with God. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and I want you to lead me into the way everlasting. God, I want this life that you're talking about. And the question is, what word is God speaking to you this week? He might be speaking over you this week that might actually free you from your old way of life that is really no life at all. Because as Christians, we are not immune to following a life, a way of life that leads to death. But yet God continues to offer us a different way. I'm gonna end with this, I'm way over. This is awesome though, I love it, okay. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse one, check it out. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, stop. You're like, Pastor Mike, we haven't even gotten past verse one. Okay, I know, but it's one sermon and we're talking about 10 commands and that's a 12-part series. I just have to drill down on this thing, okay? Whenever you see Lord in all caps, that's a hint for Yahweh. The same name that God gives for himself in this text is the same name that God used when he met Moses at the burning bush. And the name Yahweh, many believe, means breath of life. In fact, the way in which you say it is Yahweh. Yahweh. Isn't that beautiful? That this life-giving breath speaks. And from the breath of life come out words of life. Isn't that crazy? And from the words of life, and this is, I'm going to get nerdy here, but the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Bible, the word for word there is logos. Okay, let me explain further. Uh, Logos, if you've read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what it says about Jesus? He was full of grace and truth. See, Jesus says about himself that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That as we follow Jesus, we're following Jesus into a different way, a new way. But it's the way that God's always longing for us to live. 
It's the way that, that manifests into those words that, that we start living this life-giving way. And Jesus doesn't wait for you to be free from your bondage before he chose you. He didn't wait for you to climb some mountain before he spoke to you. He doesn't wait for you to somehow be transformed before he's pursuing you. Jesus enters in. He's entering into your captive way of life. And full of grace and truth, Jesus will spend all the time that you need in order to set you free. See, Jesus is leading us into this new way of life, a life deeper into God's own heart, a life without end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you and we thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for your grace and your truth and your wooing us into this life that you long for us to live not in some way to justify ourselves before you, but because it, it transforms us, it sanctifies us. Lord, you long for us to experience life with you. So God, would you continue to lead us? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us and reveal to us ways in which we, we aren't following after you? And would you, like the psalmist said, lead us in your way everlasting? We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.